Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. We are here to talk about the DC Comics coming out on November 16th, 2021. I guess we're starting with Aquaman the Beginning, number three. Uh, if we're going the alphabetically. Becoming? I'm the Becoming, I'm sorry. The Becoming. Uh, number three, which is written by Brandon Thomas, illustrated by Scott Coblish. He didn't do the first two issues of this, did he? No. 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 It is very strange that this miniseries has had three different artists so far. Uh, it, it is three different, right? It, I think it was a different artist each time. I don't know that for sure. Let's um, research I, that and then restart the episode. Okay. I don't, I don't know that you're wrong. I'm checking. The first issue was Diego Orlatugi. Yeah. Okay. The second issue also had Skylar Part- Patridge. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Are we actually restarting or keeping this in the show? Mm, it's in. Let's it's keep in going. There. Okay. So, yeah, uh, there have been three different credited artists on this book in its first three issues. And that's sort of the crux of my problem with this book is just how inconsistent the art has been. I am not on record as being a huge Scott Coblish fan, especially not in 2021. But this is really lumpy and ugly in parts. There are parts of it that are not so lumpy and ugly, but even within this issue, there's not a lot of consistency here. This just reeks of fill, quick fill-in art, and I don't know how this miniseries could not just, you know, plan ahead and not have a fill-in for the six <laughs> issues going to exist as. Um, that's my big gripe with this. Do you guys like this art? Um... I don't hate it, but I don't. It's very, it's pretty workmanlike, which is a little disappointing because I, I am a, a, a decent Koblish appreciator, um, based on his work on OMAC and, um, some cool issues he did in the Jerry Duggan Deadpool run, um, but this is just a fine, and it's not as good as some of the earlier art, so. Yeah, it's yeah, I, I pretty much agree with what Zach just said, especially about Cobblish. I'm not not a Cobblish fan because like like he said, the Jerry Duggan a Deadpool series, but also he did some some of his own Deadpool minis, I think, uh, around that same time over at Marvel. And the art in those was quite good. Um, some really fun, very artist driven uh, work on the Deadpool stuff. This feels more workman-like, to be sure. Like, this feels like somebody doing a, a fill-in issue. Um, the Diego art from the first issue was fantastic. That, you know, that kind of set the tone for what this comic would look like. And, um, you know, not that this or, the, or some of the art in the second issue was bad by any means, just didn't live up to that first issue, I think. Um, there was that, that double page spread with the, where Jackson is, um, like teleporting from, from the headquarters best. to headquarters. That page is like some inspired comic booking from the standpoint where like, okay, this is a thing that, that comics do. It's really like really only comic books can do this. And it's that like nerdy, uh, DC minutia shit that we all love so like that that stuff was really great to see 
um the actual like regular like art of the storytelling in this one yeah just didn't live up to what came before yeah uh that that double page spread i i just wrote like you know uh this is brian nip I love the fact that they went to the Flash Museum and the Justice League Detroit headquarters. Like all of that stuff is fantastic. That is exactly what I want out of out of my comics. I want these fun little throwbacks to the past being used in ways that are actually relevant to the current story, which was all very good in terms of that. And I have to say, I am liking the story that this is telling quite a bit. I think one of the really good things that DC is doing with the Aquaman books and with the wonder woman books is they're trying to give us time with the characters that we have seen on the periphery of these worlds for a while but haven't spent a ton of one-on-one time with and so this issue we get a lot of jackson a little bit of mira and we get a real look at jackson's extended uh supporting cast including his mother and his sister Mm -hmm. sister (laughs) so you know That's that's my darth vader (laughs) <laughs> thank you i appreciate that uh you know so i i really like all of that so i think this is good world building for the aquaman corner of the dcu to get more interesting and populated with different characters but i just wish that this issue worked a little better visually for me um this is just me being curious. I i didn't read all of the kelly sue run were a lot of these characters featured or introduced in that run because I I'm trying to think like when Jackson would have had time to have like a big supporting cast developed and I I don't know a lot of these characters so I'm just kind of curious where they showed up initially Um, or if this is the first time we're seeing some of them that's a good question I if I had to guess because I I don't I don't know this for a fact but I in the Kelly Sue run we may have seen Jackson's mom, maybe. But other than that, I think Jackson was pretty much on his own. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, and I want to say that his mom being from Zebel is a long time like thing. Um, yeah, I think I think that is um, that might be a pre flashpoint thing. It probably is. Um I was just wondering more about like this, like some of the, the Zebel characters that he, like that character he is communicating with remotely. I wasn't sure if that was a new character. Um, there's just a few, and this, the, this whole Zebelian underground society that his mom leads. I, I wasn't sure if that was like a pre-established con concept. I really like how much they're kind of leaning into the kind of like Atlantean Zabellian um, like history and, and feuds and, and, and kind of how Jackson and Mira play different sides of that, but they're also together. I really, I really like all the Mira stuff. That might be like my favorite part of this, of this mini so far. Well, I mean, I, I think it's just it's so interesting that DC has decided to not have an Aquaman miniseries right now, but have all, I mean, sorry ongoing series right now, but have a number of these miniseries that are all, you know, Aqua related. 
And I think what it's allowing is it's allowing us to finally get time with Mira. I mean, we had that there was that Dan Abnett written Mira miniseries a couple of years ago that came yeah. out like, in the middle of Abnett's run. But aside from that, we haven't had a, a book that really focused on that character in quite some time. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much of this for me is like because I agree with you, Jack. Zach, I really enjoy that stuff, but I don't know if it's my favorite stuff or if I just have been missing Mira. And so yeah, that stuff is feeling a little bit better than it would have, you know, otherwise. I, I just really like the status quo right now. I, I like that. I, I just like where the, the Aqua characters are, you know, at this point, I, I think it's a neat status quo. I like what these minis are doing for the most part. Did you, did you see that this, and, and I think even Black Manta last week maybe have a, a prelude to Aquaman banner running across yes. them now, which is interesting. But well, um, we still don't really know what Aquaman is. <laughs> yeah, we don't. <laughs> um, but it's it's cool. I think you compared this to the Wonder Woman stuff, which I know we haven't been effusive in our praise for, but I, I do think that they're taking a similar approach with both um both franchises i guess and and i i think it's a cool idea um and i and i appreciate the the kind of like renewed focused on the on the extended cast um i don't know we'll just see oh i will have more wonder woman stuff to say later yeah i do want to say i just um i just looked up aquaman and did like a google news search on it and it looks mm-hmm. like three hours ago, DC editor Andrea Shea t- tweeted out the Aquaman logo and said that she had a call with Brandon Thomas and Chuck Brown about it. Mm-hmm. So Chuck Brown is currently writing the Black Manta series. Brandon Thomas is writing all the other Aqua series right now. Um, so I don't think we're surprised those folks are involved. But I, I think I, they had announced that in the initial. They had at least announced thing. that I think um, they were involved with the the initial. Again, I don't know if this is an ongoing, if this is an event. I don't know what it is yet, but right, right. It appears confirmed that those two are are working together for something here. So, uh, which again, I think I think is very good. I think it's a good thing. I think that this is exactly what DC should be doing with these characters. You know. We've talked in the past about how it's sort of crazy that Aquaman has not had a consistent ongoing for, you know, at various points in DC's history. And, you know, it's kind of crazy that the the Wonder Woman's the only Amazon that we ever really spend any time with. So if you want to do those things, you kind of have to anchor them to the to whatever's working in the moment. Right. And right now, it's been a couple of years of, of relatively solid Diana stories. So you introduce the Amazons as you know, a back in the background of Wonder Woman books. And if if everyone's enjoying this, this, you know, like halfway between comics and Jason Momoa Aquaman stuff, well then now is the time to work in Jackson and to work in more with Mira. So I, I'm I'm just glad that they're that they're finding a way to bring these characters in without necessarily shoving out the other characters in that same world. Both of these, both put differently, both of these worlds seem bigger than they have in a long time. Yeah, it it is interesting how, like, you know, like you said, there have been different times where there hasn't really been an Aquaman book, and there have been times where where Wonder Woman has kind of taken the back seat. But now, 
Aquaman and Wonder Woman are probably DC's most successful film franchises right now. Um, aside from like Batman, which will probably do really well. Um, but like, hey, Black Adam next year. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> well, I was looking at, I was trying to find, I think Aquaman is the only, yeah, Aquaman is the only DCEU film that has broken a billion worldwide. Wow. Um, which is crazy. It's crazy that it has. Yeah. It's bizarre. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It, it's the highest grossing DCEU film by a pretty wide margin. Um, yeah. And Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman is the next highest, um, like solo character. So like that, that's, that's where like their fan base is right now, but the comics just don't haven't really reflected that for a long time. So I, it makes sense that they're they're maybe trying to double down on that a little bit more. But also, I think like comic popularity has never been like a one to one thing with comic or with movies and and vice versa. So who can say? Right. I imagine these Aquaman books probably won't sell that well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably not. It sucks, but Brandon Thomas is great. So, yeah, I'll read uh, anything he writes at yeah. this point. Read more about him uh, in uh, hopefully in the Multiversity Year End poll because uh, I know at least one guy on this call put him on his best writer list. Are we doing that already? Email was sent out a week ago, buddy. You would not believe. Like I'm trying to think of what I meme, can't be meme face I made when. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what face I made when I got that email and it was, I, I, I don't know. It was, it was, uh, it was the, it was the one of, uh, of uh, what's his name from Fresh Prince looking at his phone. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, but um, it's November. What are we, am I supposed to wait till the new year to send this out? What's, what the fuck? This guy, this guy, everybody else complains about, Mariah Carey and Christmas lights, but Brian's just sitting there on October 31st with the email drafted. Okay, first in. of all, I sent it out on November 2nd. Third of all, I drafted it in September. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a joke. I was planning ahead. Oh my gosh. Anyway, <laughs> anything else? Why we love been? you. Vince, I feel like you haven't talked enough about this book. Talk about it for a few minutes. Um, well, I, you know, I like all the Mira stuff. I like, I love the Jackson teleporting between the the different locations, and not just that page, just that whole concept of him being on the run. I think it's it's really well written. I think you know, um, a hero, a superhero being on the lamb is not exactly like the most original plot point, but Brandon Thomas does a really great job of uh, giving Jackson a sense of place at all times and um, attention to, you know, whether he's going to get caught here or there. And then full, like I said earlier, folds in the, the sort of uh, DC apocrypha element. That's a lot of fun. Um, the, the, the only thing that I kind of rolled my eyes at a little bit was the reveal that, that that uh, Zabellian warrior was Jackson's sister. 
mostly because not because it's not a valid plot point or anything. I mean, the, you know, that the enemy being related to you is, uh, you know, tale as old as time. It's going to get reused over and over again. But I just feel like I felt like, you know, three or four pages before the reveal, it was obvious. Oh, it, it, it was, it, it was going to be a brother or sister. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and <laughs> and they just they kept dragging it out as if it was like, who is this? Tell me who this is. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you know, you you've been a part of superhero stories for you know, over a decade now, you know how this works, <laughs> right? It's obviously your relative. Come on. Um, other than that, and and the little bit of an art hiccup, I, I think this is a, still a pretty delightful book. And I, I don't have much more to say than that, I guess. Okay. I, I, I think that that I think we're all kind of on the same page with this right now. Yeah. Um, we should just say, by the way, I, I know that maybe our interest in the Kelly Sue run kind of dipped a little bit there, but we are working on like five or so years of solid Aquaman stories. Mm-hmm. When was the last time we could say that? I don't know if you could ever say that. I do really want to go back and read that run. Sometime. <laughs> of course you do. Okay. No, I can <laughs> say that without you dunking on me because... I'm not required to do that under contract of you. Yes. So there. Me and me and my me and my classic contracts. Yeah. Okay. It's a social contract. Okay. It's still funny, Zach. Sorry. I'm never gonna <laughs> read anything ever again. <laughs> <laughs> That's just going back to your mercenary days. We know that. It's so funny how we're gonna bastardize this joke. So that as soon as Zach says, I'd like to read, doesn't matter what comes after that. We're going to set up an air horn. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's going to be the Jamaican air horn. All right. Sorry, man. You did this to yourself. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm sitting here unownable. Well, (laughs) I'm just going to have to sort all the books that I want to read in alphabetical order after we get done with this. So. (laughs) Uh, that's all you've got. All right, let's let's let's, let's, let's... <laughs> something something Halsey's Instagram. Hey, uh, let's, no. uh, hey. let's talk about uh, na- now. I'm on to looking at the uh, the nice young lady from uh, Squid Game's feet. Thank you very oh, much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's get off this fucking topic and talk about Justice League number sixty nine. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Phil Hester. Uh, Zach, why don't you start us off with this? Uh, this is not nice. <laughs> I didn't like this. I don't understand. This doesn't feel like the same Bendis who came on to Superman like two years ago. No, but this know? feels like the same Bendis from his last two years at Marvel. I honestly feel well. I wasn't really reading Bendis then. I, I would almost maybe think that this is probably even worse than that. This is like, oh, I don't even know what this is. I don't even know what I just. I don't even know what I read. Um, it's really bad, and I don't. I like the Phil Hester art. I don't like it for this. 
No. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, this is the good Phil Hester on a bad assignment. Yeah, it's just not it's just not what I really want both from him and from like a flagship Justice League book, you know? Mhm. It's a weird mix and I really don't like this. Yeah, dude, I'm so with you. Um remember when Phil Hester did the art or some of the art on uh, Christopher Priest's Justice League fill-in arc. Yes. That stuff was way better than this. Um, yeah. And now I, you know, Brian, you well, said the good, oh, you go said ahead, the go good, uh, Brian said the good Phil Hester. I, I think Phil Hester is always good in a vacuum. Um, it's not, he's not one of those like two face situations where sometimes a, a totally different artist shows up. But I agree, I agree with, with that. But I agree with you when you say like this, the fit on this book is bad, but also I think, I mean, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm stupid or something, but there's a chunk in the middle of this book where the, the art is kind of expected to carry it. And it's very confusing to what is even going on. I'm talking about the part where like Superman gets attacked. Yes. That, that is very confusing. Part of that is also just bad writing. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. But, 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 but the art doesn't the art, you know, there's some books where like if you took away the words, you could still tell what was going on. Yes. This is not that book. Correct. No, no. And I had to read that section like at least three times to figure out, OK, is this really happening or what? And it's it's when you get bad Bendis. Lots of people talk about the dialogue being like overly precious and, and all that kind of stuff, which is absolutely true. And it's true of this issue as well. But the thing that really is a hallmark of bad Bendis to me is that something can happen in the book and it is treated with the same uh, level of spectacle or lack of spectacle as like uh, Green Arrow making a fart joke or something, you know? That whole section of this issue, I was not sure how to how serious it was supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. ostensibly, ostensibly something very major is happening. But in the tapestry of this issue, you, you could have fooled me. Like, I, I, it kind of just happened. And I'm like, did that really just happen? Um, well, that just happened. Jesus, I was going to make the same jokes, <laughs> uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, like there's I, I think Bendis right now is really feeling himself in a way that. it You know, I don't think he I, I could be wrong. Maybe people love this, but I think that like to him, he's writing like extremely funny, tight uh irreverent scripts and i think nobody um not not nobody but like lots of people on the outside are are alienated by it because he's having way more fun writing it than we are reading it i think that's that's a really good observation and a sort of uh, distillation of this uh of this issue is that he is having like this is just this is just him jacking off as a writer the whole time like everything he does is just cute for the sake of cuteness and there's some of that like bantery dialogue 
that just has no place in this story. I'm not saying not in the Justice League story. I'm saying in this story. There is that sequence where Hippolyta is using the lasso of truth, where it's just like she and Ollie are just basically making jokes the entire time. <laughs> yeah. And it like I don't have you ever read Hippolyta as being like a cut up before? <laughs> like it just it just seems like such a weird way to use that character. I don't know why that is how Bendis is deciding to do this. Um, I mean, the dialogue is all pretty cringy. It is. That part in particular really bothered me. And like Vince said, that part with Superman was very confusing to try to decipher. What what the shame of this is, is that I really want to like this because I like the idea of all of the uh, super spy stuff. I like the idea of Justice League and Checkmate working together. I think that the, the, the Bones part in the director Bones pun, like the bones of a good story are kind of here. And I just feel like Bendis wastes all of that stuff. There was there was no moment in this issue where I had to hand it to him because he did something <laughs> good. Like the the entire issue is just him not doing what I want him to be doing on this book. And I don't think that I'm being picky or cranky because of that. Like, I just, again, I I, I want to like Phil Hester because I like Phil Hester. I want to like this team up. I like, I genuinely like the, the Justice League team he's put together. I want to like all of this, but it's just, it's so, it is, this is, this is as stereotypical as Tom King using a poem in a book. Mm-hmm. Like it's just this is this is the thing you laugh about with this with this creator because they're being so on the nose and like oh look Bendis is is trying to be cute with his dialogue is basically the most basic Bendis take you can have but it's absolutely the correct one because that's what's happening here. Yeah, as soon as they said they were going to interrogate that that fake Deathstroke, I, I knew it was just going to be this jokey. You you knew exactly what it was going to sound like. You know, yes. Um, the one so I'll do one more uh, wag of the finger and uh, then I'll throw in a tip of the hat. Um, so wag of the finger. Um, I had no idea that that was Lois's brother. Same in the beginning of this issue until somebody said, you're Lois Lane's brother. And that's a little bit that's that's a little bit on Bendis for not reestablishing that for this issue because the art is so different it is, also, it is it is mentioned in the like recap page though yeah i didn't read that okay and, and I, I bet a lot of people didn't you know yeah um i don't know maybe that's on me but i, I just think it's funny because he's just this gen- i'm trying to figure out who that is i'm like is, is that like a is that like a checkmate character i'm not thinking of right now you know i thought um, is that the is that uh the king character we didn't know about from uh what was that event Leviathan? Wasn't there a character named King? Well, and he's been, yeah, he's been in the checkmate yeah. book. Yeah. But he's like David Bowie. He's got right. like yeah, yeah, yeah. blonde hair anyway, but maybe that one's on me, but I, I did think it was funny that like, Oh, okay. That's I tried to, he's in the first couple of pages and I'm like, who is that? Who is that? And then they mention it in the, in the meat of the story and you know, Oh, okay. I guess, <laughs> I guess that's Lois Lane's brother. Um, and then one tip of the hat, I really do like the idea of uh, this version of the Royal Flush Gang. 
trying to get in on this like Leviathan new world order. Um, you know, we've been talking on the show about how maybe DC is setting up all these different organizations to, to go up against one another. And I like the Royal flush gang getting in on that as like the, the pathetic or out of their element version of that. Like, no, Mm. they show up and nobody's taking them seriously. Right. And I, I kind of like that as a concept. Now, again, I, I don't think the writing is very good around that, but I think there, I think there's an idea here that I don't think DC will follow through on in a way that I will find entertaining, but in this, this book kind of suggests that like Leviathan the Royal flush gang. Now they're almost like these tech startups or like vent. It's like venture capital for superhero supervillains, mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh, the Royal flush gang. They just, they just found out you could say you were going to uh, initiate the new world order and they would make a bunch of money. You know, it reminds me of like these venture capital things like Quibi or whatever, where like, Oh, you just say you have a streaming service now and you get some backing from, from venture capitalists. And then you hope that you can kind of fake, fake it for a while. Right. Like I, I I really like that idea. I just don't think DC is not really going to get satirical enough or pointed enough with that to carry it forward. You know, Mm -hmm. anyway, that's all Zach. I've talked too much. I, I don't have much more to say about the, the Bendis story. Um, Go off on the Justice League Dark then. Well, I, I have one Bendis-related question before we get to that, which is, are we ready to declare the Bendis experiment as a failure? I am, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll hold out. I, I, I think I'm going to hold judgment until the Justice League Legion thing comes out. But that's like literally, that's the last, you know, that's the last chance. Vince? I think so. I mean, I can't tell you how much I wish he would have done more projects like Batman Universe. Because that book is so much fun. That doesn't that's like not even the same writer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and like um, the writer who did the first year of Superman in action, too, is, is yeah. a t- totally different guy. Or who did you that know. Legion Millennium series. Yeah. Or like, you know, the early Wonder Comics stuff that he that he was on. I, I and think even getting just... Wonder Comics up and off the ground, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, you, you got, you do got to hand it to him for that. Um, yeah. I just think it's, it's yet again, it's like too many irons in the fire. Even if we don't see all the irons, you know, like, you know, that somewhere in the background, he's working on creator own stuff. He was working on moving his creator own stuff also. You it's know? a dark horse now. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and then, you know, rounding out dc projects starting a few new ones it's just it's so unfocused now whereas i feel like the bendis that came into dc and started this stuff was reinvigorated and it just in an instant 
became too much again, as it always does. Yep. Yeah, I I think that unfortunately, see, it's funny because everybody, not everybody, many people had positioned Bendis coming to D.C. as like the modern day Jack Kirby coming to D.C., right? And, you know, like not not because of the talent, because of like the stature of here's a guy who was considered like the Marvel creator of their generation. Right. And then coming over to D.C. And I think that a very generous interpretation of that could be that it was only years later that the fourth world stuff was recognized as, you know, as important as it as it was at D.C., but that that presupposes that anything Bendis did will is, is worthy of reevaluation later. I don't think Bendis's work at DC has been ahead of the curve, and so we need to wait until our kids appreciate it. Like it's not that at all. It's just the same Bendis stuff. And I don't know if, like Zach said, or Vince, I forget who said it. Like he seemed very reinvigorated at the start of his action and Superman stuff, and I don't know if he just fell into bad patterns. Or if he got bored or if DC said to him, like, we want you to, you know, we want you to go back to the old you or what happened to get him out of that invigorated first year or so. But, man, I it's been a really rough two or three years for Bendis at, at DC since that first year or so. Yeah, part of it is that I do feel like he just kind of got passed over by... I feel like the Didio Didio leaving really hurt him in terms of his like level of clout and say in things. But the Dio didn't leave that early on in his tenure. No, but he left like when like like had Didio stayed, I think we would be having a if Didio had stayed, Bendis would be leading whatever is happening right now instead of Williamson. That's what I think. Interesting. Um, I think I think I mean the Bendis books all pointed to the, him doing something big a crisis and maybe he even has a crisis still coming up but it definitely doesn't seem like no, he I, has any kind of like forward momentum in terms of you know the overall narrative in, in the DCU right now I feel like his crisis is absolutely the Leviathan stuff and it's going to get, it's going to get effectively like squashed. Yeah. See, I think, I, I think his crisis has turned into justice league versus the uh, Legion of superheroes. Oh, and interesting. It's, it's going to be yeah. a mini series instead of it being a crisis. Sure. Yeah. That, it, that's reasonable too. Yeah. I just feel like, he had a lot of momentum going with the Superman stuff and with the Wonder Comic stuff and kind of felt like, you know, between him and Snyder kind of competing with Snyder in terms of like leading the line in that like first year. And then all that momentum just died um, during like death metal, like you're the villain death metal stuff. Um. And I don't I don't think we could ever get it back. It's interesting how historically DC has had for the last 15 or 20 years. It seems like there's always two creators 
vying for the spotlight, whether it was Johns and Morrison or now Williamson and Bendis, like they're just and or Snyder and Bendis, I guess, at the uh, you know, at for a time, like it's just interesting to see how they're sort of always and it seems like one of them is always the more galaxy brained one, and one of them is the more like comics traditionalist one. Or the traditionalist is the wrong word, but like like John's always tried to work with it, color within the lines at DC, whereas Morrison was more content with blowing shit up. And it seems like, you know, Snyder was always very willing to do like he would often talk about. And I, I don't I think Snyder's is less true than Morrison's, but Snyder would also often talk about how, like, they were doing stuff that wasn't being done at DC. They were breaking the rules and all of that. And I don't know how much of Snyder's stuff actually broke any rules at DC, um, but that's how that's at least how he how he carried himself with this stuff. Whereas I feel like, um, you know, Bendis is more of like he knows how to be the top dog at a comics company, and was just is very content to play that role. I mean, that was a diversion. Talk about Justice League Dark, Zach. I, I didn't read that part this week. Oh, it, it's just. It, it's it's just really cool like sumit kumar is on art who i've been i've been missing um you know i i I, have they been on this book the whole time has it been kumar doing these backups i really don't know um but i really like their work yeah i really like their work in future state and it's really good here and the you know it's just a short little story i'm not caught up on the book so i'm coming in kind of cold but you know i did the same thing with justice league and i i couldn't really make heads or tails of some super like the the justice league stuff was need needlessly obtuse for what is a pretty straightforward story and and i feel like justice league dark is the other way around it's a very involved and like uh lore and mechanics heavy story but i i just slid right into it and understood what was going on and it was very cool making cool use of characters like aquaman um Mm -hmm. bringing in the upside down man stuff which i guess that's where this is happening Uh, um we've kind of been talking about looking for that since the uh he showed up in um infinite frontier um and it's just it's just cool i i really i i've sadly kind of been sleeping on a lot of the rom v stuff um just because it (laughs) this is a backup in justice league which i haven't been keeping up with and and we haven't really touched in on swamp thing in a while so i haven't something renewed by the way did you guys hear that yeah or continued at least it's yeah uh, increased to 16 issues which is cool yeah um so i i i need to uh how am i gonna say this so that you guys won't give me shit (laughs) (laughs) we got you we got you got him Uh, got him i need i need to read this i need i need to uh catch up on some rompy well we we just we just talked about reading the uh the annual that yeah, comes out later yeah. this month. So there is your opportunity there, Zach. For for sure. Yeah. And and definitely seems like the the most um, you know, I liked some of the Tanyan Justice League Dark stuff, but this seems especially focused and and you know, maybe a maybe a, a half 
size backup is the best way to do Justice League Dark Stories. Maybe maybe they don't need a full full ongoing. Do you guys want to hear my Galaxy brand idea for the future? Sure. sure. I think, and it hasn't been solicited. This is no this is no inside info. This is just me thinking out loud. I think replacing the Justice League Dark backup is going to be the JLQ backup. Mm. Oh, interesting. That they're going to okay. use the Justice League book as a way to tell these stories of alternate Justice League teams. And they won't always be happening at the same time. But like we got a year of Justice League Dark. We're going to get a year of the JLQ. Well, I think that'd be great. Yeah. Hope they find a different writer. Anyway, let's uh, take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about our final three books of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martin Bro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with Nubia and the Amazons number two, written by Stephanie Williams and Vita Ayala, illustrated by Aletha Martinez. Uh, I thought this was a much more assured and interesting issue than the first issue, but I think I was the low man on the first issue. So I'm curious to see what you guys felt about the second issue of the series. So uh, take it away, Vincey. Oh, okay. Um, boy. So just reminding everybody where I was about that first issue. Um, I thought that the front half were all of the um, newly christened uh, Amazonians were coming out of the well of well of souls or whatever that thing is called. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that stuff was really nicely done and, and interesting and um, a really uh, acute and specific look at a piece of wonder woman lore that isn't used as much as it could be, I think. And, and so I found that really enjoyable. And then kind of the, the back half, which is setting up the trial of the Amazon stuff, supposedly, um, I found to be chaotic and less satisfying. Um, this issue is somewhere in between, I think, because man, I I'm interested in everything they're setting up here. Like I'm interested in Nubia going to the matrons of Themyscira and asking them for advice, but then like not knowing what to say or not even knowing what question she has, you know, but I also feel like that takes too long to, to get the point across there. And I feel like every, every scene is kind of like that where there's so much like exposition between characters. Like one character will come in and visit another character and say like, what, what is troubling you sister? And then like, they will, explain what is troubling them this, this book is so much telling uh in this issue and not enough showing um and so i like all the ingredients i i i like 
where the plot is going, I think, but it's, it's just so much telling right now. Um, kind of the most interesting part of the issue was that like, uh, uh, <laughs> what do they call it in the Marvel X books? The, where the, the, like the fighting arena, the crucible. Oh, the crucible. Yeah. 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 They have Marvel's crucible in this <laughs> comic. Basically they even set it up with an infographic page. Um, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That stuff. And that stuff is actually the best stuff in this issue. I think it's the stuff that combines like uh, a piece of Themyscirin lore with some personality of these characters. It, it, the, the, the infographic talks about, well, this Am- Amazon has the record for this. This one has the record for this, etc. And it all kind of makes sense. And it's, it's fun in that way. And I think not enough of the rest of this book is fun when I think it easily could add a little bit more fun to this sense of dread that it's trying to build. Cause I think it's building that sense of dread a little too dryly with all the exposition. That's, that's my take on it anyway. Zach. Um, I think my biggest thing with this book and I, and I feel like this is a problem that I've had with a lot of like Thimbaskirin based books in the past is that there, there are so many characters that are not well-defined artistically. And I, I, I feel like I always spend more time just trying to remember who, who everyone is in relation to each other and, and what, you know, which character I have, I have a very hard time recognizing which character I I am seeing or is being addressed unless they like explicitly say their name. Um, Just because they they are, they are all very similar looking. They have, they all have very similar garb. Each one has kind of a distinct thing about them, but especially like this early on in the book, there's so many characters and especially with all of like the new characters who are being introduced through the, the well of souls really makes me wish that there was just like a character page that's like you know that yes. like you know like justice league has or you know like marvel books do that just like ha- has a name and a face so i can just turn to that page and be like okay this is that character it, because i like probably spent as much time reading this issue like actually reading it as like trying to kind of map everyone out in my head and that's like a very that's, I, I think like a small nitpick and that might just be like the way my brain works and that bothering me it might it may not bother anyone else but it did detract like my enjoyment from the issue a little bit um that said i really am glad that a book like this exists i think it's long overdue really um i think some of the stuff that that il and phillips are doing here is really neat williams not phillips i made the same mistake a couple weeks ago williams okay it's not this isn't Stephanie Phillips. No, it's, it's Stephanie Williams. Stephanie Williams. Oh, there's two Stephanies. I don't know. Stephanie if I Phillips that. writes a different Wonder Woman book this week. Yeah, that's so confusing. Okay, I okay. Stephanie Williams and, and Ayala. Okay, I, I made the same um, mistake. That's, that's, that's why I, I yeah. wanted to uh, correct you on that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I really like what they're doing here. I think that Nubia Nubia is like a really cool. I was like really afraid that Nubia would not 
I I I I was worried that that they would the writers would struggle to find like a compelling focal point for Nubia as like the protagonists mm-hmm. in a to differentiate her enough from Diana. You know what I mean? And I yes. think they've done like a fantastic job of that with like leaning into this like doorway to doom or whatever the most like Kingdom Hearts bullshit you've ever heard, <laughs> um, and like that that whole thing and and kind of like her differences from from Diana and Hippolyta and like the 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 way that she kind of leads and um I like her rapport with all of the other characters um I yeah I really like this book I I have I I think like Ayala is a really like good and, and potentially even like underrated writer I've loved like what they've done in new mutants, which is kind of a similar book in that it has like a ridiculously large cast. That's hard to keep up with, but the character interactions are all extremely good. Um, so this is, I mean, this is probably my favorite wonder woman book right now. I feel pretty confident saying that. Yeah, I I think I, I lean more towards Zach than Vince in this regard. I, I said I felt this was a more confident second issue. What I mainly mean by that is my big problem with Nubia and the Amazons number one was I felt like I didn't get enough Nubia in there. And I don't necessarily mean in terms of page count. I just mean I did not feel I knew that character at all at the end of it more than I did going into it. With this issue, I feel like I, kn- I legitimately know that character better than I did, you know, 22 pages ago or whatever. So I I appreciate it in that way quite a bit. I also like how we're getting little bits of Amazon mythology that either we didn't know or just I forgot. Like I forgot that Nubia was the final person to come through the Well of Souls until it just recently reopened. I, that was that was handled in a way that didn't feel exposition-y. We just got that bit of information, and it's a nice bit of information to have going forward in the book. I like the rapport that Nubia is building with the new folks coming through the Well of Souls. There's a, you know, there's just a, much like in the Aquaman stuff, there is a sense of we really need to be paying more attention to these characters of whom there are many interesting foils for Diana and for other characters in the DC universe. You know, I, 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 I'm happy that we're getting a Diana anchored Wonder Woman event that hopefully people who aren't reading this miniseries will read next year. And maybe that will allow Nubia to have a place on a DC team going forward. Or maybe that, you know, just, just, just taking these characters out of the sort of, they can only appear in Themyscira uh, you know, place where they are right now, and giving them, giving them just a wider a wider role in the DC universe. I feel like this book and this issue really sets that up well. I will say that uh, to Zach's point, I think Aletha Martinez does not always do the best job of identifying these characters facially, and because they're all dressed a little bit similar, it can be tough to lose track, or it can be easy rather to lose track of who is who in what situation. But I think that, that that, like Zach said, that may be more on me than on the work itself. Uh, any other notes on this book? 
All right, let's move over to Superman, Son of Kal-El, number five, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by John Timms. Zach, start us off with this one. Man, this book is really cool. I um, I had to read the previous issue to catch up for this one. Um, and just wanted to mention, I was very pleasantly surprised that uh, Taylor brought back uh, the Airy and Wink for this book, which I did not expect, but it also makes a lot of sense uh, as far as like a book to bring them back in. When did we last um, see them, by the way? I, I couldn't remember when we last saw them. Well, in continuity was in Suicide Squad. Oh, but yes, they were also yes. in uh, Deceased. Yes, yes. I was thinking about it in Deceased. I forgot they were in Suicide Squad. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I just... This issue was so much fun in that you just got to... like. I just, I kind of gushed about how good the Superman books were when we talked about action. And I, I think it applies here. I think I may have maybe shortchanged this book a little bit. And Taylor does some really great Supermaning in this book. Um, there's the kind of, you know, conceit that uh, John gets his, his cells like supercharged with some kind of like hyper solar radiation and it, it like amps his powers up a ton uh and he just goes off on just saving everybody and it's like such a it's such a fun like sequence to read um and then the toll it takes on him sets up the scene between him and jay that is probably like you know clearly the biggest talking point about this issue and i i want to say that um I had like some reservations about this because when it was first announced, because I, I, the way that Jay was like first introduced, I was really afraid that he was going to end up being a villain. And, and this was going to be a thing where like they get close and then Jay is going to betray John. And I feel that could, that could still happen, but I, I feel like the way the story is moving that is less likely to happen and it's not going to be that type of story. And I, it, it was just nice, you know, like this issue was just really, it, it was a very like good quintessential Superman story. I think the, the scene of, of John flying a whole squad of ambulances on a section of a bridge an unfinished bridge is like the most superman thing you can do yeah i agree with all of that i thought this was a very sweet issue i think they're doing such a great job of developing john as dare i say the best superman yeah <laughs> you know like and I, i'm someone who loves superman but john just seems to be in that perfect sweet spot of, and I think that one of the things that's great about Clark is that Clark is, he never gives up on anybody. He sees the best in everybody, but I don't know if I'd call him an idealist, whereas John is an idealist. And I think that he is no less brave, no less committed to helping people than Clark is, but he's committed through a different lens. And I feel like in 2021, that lens is just so perfect, especially compared with, you know, 
how the golden age Superman sort of was a, you know, a socialist in a lot of ways and seeing John walk that similar path is a very cool thing. Uh, I will also say I was always the person who was the lowest on John Tim's on this podcast and either he got better or I was wrong because Tim's is doing fantastic, fantastic work on this book. This book both looks like a Superman title and also like something that is completely unique and of its own uh, of its own visual style. I can't get enough of this book. Vincy. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Um, I think, you know, I would echo pretty much everything you guys said. Uh, just a couple things you guys didn't say. Um, they make vague gestures in this issue to uh, the like Henry Bendix uh, overarching narrative of the, the series so far, but they don't do anything with that. And I kind of like that. Like so far we're, we're, this is what issue five you said. Yes. Yeah. We're five issues in and a lot of these issues just kind of feel like one-off little things. Like there's not really, there's not really an arc here yet. And I kind of like that. I wish more comics would be content to do that, but I think, I think the problem with that in this day and age is that comic books don't get to 50 or a hundred issues anymore. So if you're going to tell all these little one-off stories, while also, while also having this like a uh, running narrative in the background, something's going to get shortchanged if this book gets canceled or, or not canceled, but churned too soon, you know, but I'm hoping that with a John Kent Superman title, that that is something that sells enough that it could keep going long enough to where they don't have to feel like they need to get to the Bendix stuff and resolve it immediately. I kind of love, I kind of love it as this like thing running in the background. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like you guys already said, that makes this issue a like perfect standalone Superman story where he's pushing himself to his limits to just do as much good as he can. And that's so refreshing to read in an era where everything's gotta be like a six issue, uh, arc, you know? Right. Right. Um, man, it's, it's this issue was a really satisfying read. And that is to say nothing of the romance or the kiss at the end, which is a nice little cherry on top. I think it's, you know, obviously that stuff is important. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just a straight like cis guy. And so like, you know, I, I don't, I, I want to see that stuff in comics, but it's not, it's going to mean so much to people, to other people. You know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. it sure. means a lot. It means a lot to me on its, on its own and for what it represents, you know, but like if, if the stuff that's in this comic touches people or like lifts them up or makes them feel good, that's good too. And that's, corny to say about um corporate comics but <laughs> but it's nonetheless true like people do see that and and uh it, it does it does lift them up in some way i think sometimes you can tell it's working because it's getting the right people mad well yeah i don't even want to focus on that um 
it's making it's making the right people happy. Yes, that's a, that's a much <laughs> that's a much more uh, positive way to uh, to put this. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, not even. To, I think this issue was fantastic before, during, and after that. Like yeah. to me, I know that we uh, just a peek behind the curtain here. We had said how we feel like we talk about this book a lot, and maybe we should skip this this week talking about it. But then we said, well, if this is the week that they're going to sort of first, you know, initiate John being by, that's something we want to talk about. But I think the issue is worth talking about after having read it, even without that stuff. Like, I just think this book is so good right now. I think everything that Taylor is doing um, is working here. Mm -hmm. So that's great. This is more of a last issue thing but it it's kind of present at the beginning so i did want to touch on it um i felt like the scene with bendix had big lex luther vibes yes which had to be intentional but i really liked it i i really like how taylor and tim's are positioning john as as like the superman and doing that in a visual language that is inherent to like the Superman, the history of Superman comics, even if it is with like different characters and a different supporting cast, he's, he's passing on the mantle to John in a visual way, more so even than like a physical way, you know, or like a, like a, a, um, yeah, that's not exactly the best way to say that, but no, you know I, what I mean. I, I, like, I think that makes total sense. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's just really cool. It's just very smart visual storytelling, and I I like it a lot. Not to keep bringing up Grant Morrison, but <laughs> it it kind of reminds me of when Dick became um, Batman, in that there were things that Dick did and didn't do that distinguished him from Bruce, but but it was the it was the comparison to Bruce that made that stuff work. The thing I'm thinking of in particular is a moment in the Black Mirror story where Gordon is on a rooftop talking to, to Dick and he turns around and he's still there. And he says, like, I'm yeah. not used. I'm not used to you being there when I turn around. And like that is referencing what Bruce did, but giving Dick his own way of doing it. You know what I mean? And I feel like that this is doing it in a sim. This is doing the similar thing to that. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, that brings us to our final book of the week, Wonder Woman Evolution, number one, written by Stephanie Phillips this time, uh, illustrated by Mike Hawthorne. Uh, Vince, I feel like you are the Wonder Woman expert on the show, having read <laughs> every issue of Wonder Woman, so why don't you start this one off for us? Um, God, I don't even know what to say about it. I, like, I don't know what this book is yet um i think there might be a story here but as a first issue i can't it does a thing that 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 really annoys me uh that first issues do which is um saves the entire premise hints at the premise of the series and then saves it for the very last page and doesn't even get to it just hints that this is what's happening so like if this is some sort of 
quote unquote evolution that Wonder Woman's going through, it makes vague gestures at that at the beginning. And then it sort of launches Diana into that at the end, but you don't, it leaves it as a cliffhanger. So you don't even know what that means. So right now this book is called Wonder Woman Evolution. And because I haven't read any of the um, promotional material or any interviews or anything, I have absolutely no idea what that means, even after reading the first issue and any references to it in the comic itself are incredibly generic. That said, there is some stuff in this comic that I like. I just don't know why I'm, I don't know why I'm supposed to be reading this story or why it's important or not. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't even think it's a story yet, but I do like, like, I like the, the silver Swan stuff um, with uh, Diana's old friend, Vanessa. Um, that reincorporating that character, I think, I mean, that, that is one of the, that is one of the more interesting wonder woman villains, I think in, the entire history of wonder woman that I doesn't agree. yeah doesn't get enough play yeah because like perez spends so much time with her as a ally and an innocent and then uh, you know she gets turned into a villain and it's a really bitter it's a really bitter pill too like it's especially this isn't like um cheetah where it kind of goes back and forth or like there's this redemptive arc that Diana gets so close to with her and then it just slips out of her grasp or whatever. This is just, you know, this is somebody who loved and looked up to Diana for the longest time and then was let down and there's like no going back, you know, and it's, it's, it's really bitter. It's really, it's really grim, but not in like an overly, not, not in like an edgelord way. Um, and so I like when they return to this character, um, May I ask why why this issue needed to though? Well, I see. I don't know that yet. There's again, there are some vague gestures made about evolution, um, about ev- about evolution of of your of you know human beings or whatever. But without knowing, without knowing what or why this is happening or whether how this is important, um, that stuff all really comes off as just generic villain banter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, I think that's a problem. Like, I think there's nothing wrong with cliffhangers and there's nothing wrong with leaving something for the second issue. But I think like good first issues, at least if they wait to the last page to give you the premise, they at least give you the premise there, you know? Right. This does not do that at all. And it's, and it was a frustrating read because, because of it. Now the stuff with uh, her and Superman as well was really well written. I thought really nice moment between those two characters. Um, so, you know, F- Phillips, just like in the Harley Quinn book uh, has a really great grasp on the characters. Um, I'm just, I'm just not sure I care about what's going on in this book yet. And um, I guess I'll just finish my bit by saying uh, I've never been the biggest Hawthorne fan at all either. So 
Uh, directly from my notes, Hawthorne's Diana is a handsome woman. Well, that's <laughs> she has man hands. Okay, that's come on now, come on now. I I I wouldn't have put it that way, but her. It, it, I don't like the way Hawthorne draws her. Um, she has like a very gaunt like yeah face. That is like not how I picture Diana. I and like his Superman is also not great. I think um, the art is like the biggest detractor on this book. I think I don't. I don't feel like Hawthorne is a a good fit for this book. And in really like any way, although it's hard to say because I don't know what this book is yet either. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. Um, I, I, when I, before I sat down to read this book, I knew nothing about it. I didn't know it was an eight issue mini. I assumed that it was like a, just another, like on Wonder Woman ongoing. And it it was going to feed into the trial of the Amazon stuff. It was like, oh yeah, of course they'll start another Wonder Woman ongoing leading into this big crossover. Like that makes sense to, to just have two Diana ongoings, but that's not what this is. I assume I, you know, this could end up feeding into that somehow but i it's weird it's it's an interesting premise um what is the premise because i really don't know well so like the i think it it seems like a very like sci-fi heavy wonder woman story because we open up with this kind of cold open of her fighting these aliens on like an alien on on kind of like a, a you know a planet that seems very fantastical and and she has you know a different outfit and then we and then we cut to like what the majority of this issue is which i think i i kind of feel like is just spinning the wheels a little bit um to set up for like like you guys said the the real part of this issue which i think is getting to this kind of like weird sci-fi potentially even like cosmic wonder woman story which is is what it seems like and i think that's a really promising and interesting idea um especially like coming off of the the last wonder woman arc which was it was kind of that but more like mythologic whereas this is more like space fantasy as opposed to the God stuff. Um, and I, I mean, I'm reading into a lot here from just like the two pages at the beginning and like the one page at the end, but that's just what, where it kind of seems like it's going. And, and I think that's kind of neat. I want to like this. I like a lot of the beats that Phillips does throughout here. I think that the Diana Clark conversation is really good. And I think that silver Swan is used reasonably well here. I just don't know why all of this is happening in the same book. Like this seems to me like a collection of three different Diana ideas smushed together to get us someplace, but I'd rather we just got to that someplace. Like for instance, the silver Swan stuff has no impact on the rest of the book, unless she kind of like, unless she infects Diana with them and it's going to make her evolve, which could be the case here. Right. But if that's the case, then you don't need the Clark stuff. You know, the Clark stuff is just a nice moment between Clark and Diana, but there's no real... I don't think that... I mean, maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't seem like that's going to inform the rest of the series at all. 
And then there's a moment that feels really weird to me, which is the moment where Silver Swan drops the kid and she's like, you have to choose now. Like, first of all, that's the most cliche thing in comics. Also, in what world wouldn't Wonder Woman choose the kid? Like, it just, it just felt like this is supposed to be this, this significant moment that teaches us so much about Diana. And every time this story's ever been written, no matter if it was written in 1939 or 2021, Diana's choosing that kid every time. And so it just it just feels like this very strange collection of vignettes instead of a cohesive story right now. Um, I happen to like those vignettes, but it doesn't feel like a thing to me yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm reserving a lot of judgment till it feels like more of a thing. And the Hawthorne art's pretty trash. Yeah, I man. He's just never been to my taste. Uh, uh, talk about prior Deadpool artists. Um, he did a healthy amount of Deadpool work at Marvel, and man, it was just never. A lot, a lot of people like it, but I never did. I think there are ways to make his art work. I just don't think this is a good vehicle for it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that does it for our books this week. Vince? Um, yes, I have it. Uh, what comes so, out next week? Uh, next week, 11-23, yes? Yes. Uh, Aquaman Green Arrow, Deep Target, number two. Uh, Batman 89, number four. Batman Reptilian, number six. Catwoman, number 37. Checkmate, number 37. six. 37? Huh? I just said the clerk's joke. I said 37. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, a checkmate number six, uh, DC versus vampires number two, um, Deathstroke number three, Detective Comics 1045, uh, Flash 776, Hardware number three, uh, Justice League or Harley Quinn number nine, Justice League Incarnate number one, Robin number eight. Superman 78. Mm, Superman, 78 number, Superman 78 number four. Number four. And uh, Task, Force Task, Force Z. Z, Task Force Z number two. And, and, and Wonder Woman Black and Gold. Yeah, which I don't think I ever mentioned when. when <laughs> yeah, probably not. Well, uh, thank you for listening, folks. As always, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. And I am at Wilker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is currently uh, going through his mental Rolodex to list and mention every former Daredevil, uh, Deadpool artist he can in the context of this show, since it was at least two this week, if not three, right? Yeah, uh, two, I think. Um, yeah. So you're, you're working on your Deadpool Rolodex. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week. Go to DC3Cast.com for our Patreon and more. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. I'm a daily fantasy guy now. Oh, don't be that guy, Vince. Come on. I know. I know, dude. I know. Oh, man. (laughs) Don't do this. (laughs) That's the stinger. Uh, do you enjoy on. do you enjoy daily fantasy paul no it's every fucking commercial on television now <laughs> is ben affleck and some dickhead arguing about fantasy sports and i can't take it
I don't want this. I don't want it. I want my television back. I don't want everything to be about fucking gambling. 